I can actually engage with my body and engage with this terminology, engage with my Jing, engage in the protection of my Jing, the creation of my family culture, my lifestyle, in order to prioritize this thing. And then from there... I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. Today, I've got a little clinic tip for you. This is something that's taken me years to finally learn. This might sound harsh, and in a way it is, but trust me, it will make your day go much better when you're not grinding your teeth on the grudge of no-shows or having patients who show up aiming to prove that acupuncture is a waste of time and money. Here's what I've learned. Never allow a wife or a girlfriend to schedule an appointment for the man in her life. Don't do it. Because with all good intentions, she's trying to wrangle you into some kind of self-improvement project for the guy in her life that he wants no part of. If you're lucky, he'll just not show up. But if you're more unfortunate, he'll show up and use your time and good intentions to prove to his gal that she's wrong about what she thinks is right for him. I'm a slow learner, and so this has taken me some time to really learn. And as it is often the case, the universe will send me a lesson on a regular basis until I finally make some progress with learning it. I finally did learn the lesson. A woman called to make an appointment of her guy, and I asked, why he didn't make the call himself? Was he incapacitated or in some way, perhaps incapable? She replied, none of those. He's just busy. So she's making the appointment for him. He's busy. I'm doing this for him. This is the tip off that he wants nothing to do with coming to see you. If you're like me, you'll easily think, ah, poor guy. I'm glad to help. I'm telling you, don't do it. Here's what I said to her. I'm happy to see him if he really wants to come in, but he's going to have to call and make that appointment. Here's why. If he really wants to come in and he's a competent adult, like I think he probably is, he'll find the time to make the call. But I suspect that you want him to change in some way that he really doesn't want to. You'll make the appointment and he'll forget to come in. She laughed, a good-natured laugh at that, and said, You're right. Oddly enough, since that encounter, I've not had any women calling to make appointments for the man in their life. Curious, isn't it, how our practices cultivate our experience over time? Cultivation practice covers a lot of ground. It could be the exercise and movement that gives you direct feedback in terms of how your body is and what it's capable of doing. It might be the stillness practice that quiets the mind and clarifies discernment. Or it could be the foods that you choose to eat or not, the herbs you drink to counter illness or to nourish and support what's already working well. Our guest today found himself bored and unmotivated while studying business at university. He had more of an interest in self-cultivation and exploring the use of tonic herbs, which, oddly enough, led him to creating a business. Ladal is subtle and sly, and it has a way of circling you back on things that you'd like to give a pass. 
In this conversation with Mason Taylor, we discuss cultivation practices, the curious spirit of mushrooms, and how following something that has your interest not only can be a benefit to others, but generate your livelihood as well. We'll get into all of this and more in a moment. Stick around. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account 
and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Mason Taylor, welcome to Geological. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been a listener for so long. I'm I'm pretty chuffed to be here talking to you, to be honest. <laughs> long time listener, now you're on the show. That I guess that's what can happen. You you listen long enough and maybe you wind up on the show. How, how did you find out about Geological? How, and, and why are you listening? You're not even an acupuncturist. No, I'm not an acupuncturist. Um, I kind of, in, in the world of Chinese herbalism, I call myself a, a scallywag herbalist because I got into... Can you say that in public? I do. I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an aspiring... I really, what I want to be is a comedian. So I constantly say things to annihilate my uh, reputation in public because I, th- I find it funny. <laughs> but um, it's 12 years I've had this super feast business. I got, I, at the time I was getting interested in what I refer, refer to anyway as the, the Taoist herbs. And it was such a decentralized, like it's as far away as you could get from the institution of Chinese medicine and the, the real passing of the flame of those intricate aspects of that uh, healing and cultivating modality. And I was over here in the extreme wellness world looking for things to help with longevity, so on and so forth, and quite ungrounded at the time. And then coming across another kind of, you know, I I could say scallywag in the Chinese medicine world, which is Ron Teagarden and, you know, then and George Lamoureux as well, and kind of just got into these. Okay. So, so hang on just one second. So scallywag, that's a word from like the 1800s or something. I'm not sure that many of our listeners even know what that means other than you used it and we both laughed so it it must be kind of funny what is a scallywag we use it a lot in australia it's just you know it's got it's got connotations here you could probably go back to the you know the official meaning and it's not exactly appropriate but it's just like a little bit naughty a little bit outside of the rules a little bit of non-conformity and uh that's like that's the energy of a scallywag just cheeky um cheeky non-institutionalized Okay, non-institutionalized. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think that would be most people listening to this this podcast, really. They, they de-institutionalize themselves. And I'm gonna, I think I'm trying to cram a, a, a lot in to give context of why I would even be here I, as someone who was so far out, you know, getting into medicinal mushrooms. I think many people would be aware of the, um, you know, that commercial side of, you know, of the adaptogenic herbs and the medicinal mushrooms. And and then for me, getting into what we call the, the Jing herbs, the Qi herbs, the Shen herbs, and those herbs, the tonic herbs, those that are referred to in, um, in Shen Nong's Ben Sao Jing as the superior herbs, I was getting so much, you know, just getting like, you know, such, uh, mind-blowing um effects in my own body because i wasn't interested in treating symptoms in my own body i was just interested in becoming a rad 80 and 90 year old that didn't degenerate and i couldn't find any in the western texts around herbs and everyone the way everyone was approaching longevity i couldn't find any um terminology um any system 
that had the language or had that um, that path. And so then when I came across the Taoist texts and especially the texts who, which were talking about the Taoist tonic herbs, all of a sudden it had it was talking about the treasures and how to keep uh, how to protect them and essentially how to become someone who can enter into the realms of elderhood. And I, as I kind of say, like not be an asshole, a projecty asshole when you're in your, you know, when you're in your elder, <laughs> elderhood. And I was like, don't be an asshole when you get old. Yeah, okay. that's how I kind of like try and ground all the grandeur of um, the Taoist terminology. Um, and that really excited me. And then I started, I'd started Super Feast already, just doing all the superfoods. And then the mushrooms and the Jing herbs um, started just muscling their way in because I wanted to be effective in what I was doing there, just helping people not degenerate and you know, become the best version of themselves. And, and what, then what happened was I, um, I realized I started coming across a lot of acupuncturists and just realized we were really chalk and cheese. I was at the market selling Chinese herbs and using terminology, which perhaps I didn't have the full context of in a decentralized manner, which I felt was really needed because a lot of people in Australia at the time were really scared of using Chinese herbs and, and, Right, rightfully so. The the only Chinese herbs where. What was the fear that was going on? How come people were afraid of it? Well, cause remember, like Australia, in terms of like our universities, our the teaching Chinese medicine in Australia are like proper institutions. So there's it properly teaching colonized Chinese medicine where those herbs are. And I know I'm not speaking for everyone. I know I'm not speaking to people listening to this podcast. But the the acupuncturists coming out were so fearful of anyone using any of these herbs because of the case studies that they were being shown that any wrong usage of any of the, especially the inferior and the regular herbs, which I understand was going to completely decimate people's health. They were egoic in the sense of just like, we own this, you know, we, we are the ones that control and dispense and it's irresponsible what you're doing. And this wasn't all, chi- <laughs> this is obviously isn't everyone. These were the people that found me at the markets and online. And it was a really great experience for me because even though I was really confident in what I was doing and going like, no, 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 these herbs were the ones that were meant to bridge between clinic and and home use to prevent and help us cultivate. But I also understood what they were talking about, even though I disagreed with how institutionalized they were. And I know when I came across your podcast, um, I was especially at the time around when Rhonda Chang was on, who's a um, and and I was like, and I'd been going through a lot of uh, like a lot of like <laughs> a bit of an existential crisis within myself. Going, I really don't want to fight with this w- with this formal clinical Chinese medicine. Like I've got no, even though I call myself a scallywag, I wanted to be a an ally of a scallywag. I wanted to be, I wanted to build those um, build those bridges. Remember, Australia is a very conservative society so like you know like i don't oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm from the states so i've got my own perspective but you australians don't look conservative you look kind of kind of uh cheeky uh we are cheeky but then underneath is such a compliance and such a, a suckling at, of, at the teat of like especially the university institutions and the medical institutions and stepping outside of that 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 i mean that just might be living in western culture it's true there's such a brazen, there was such a brazen confidence that like, I've had the most heated battles with acupuncturists in terms of what 
what I what I was doing in selling these herbs, and this is where the, the scallywag energy and it came up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get where they're coming from. I mean, I'm trained as an herbalist myself. Before that, I've had an interest in herbs for a long time. I actually, as I was preparing for our conversation today, I was thinking, when did I first start looking at herbs? I was in high school. It's weird. I had a book on herbs, Western herbs. And, and, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've used an herb like ginseng, pretty high level herb, right? I used it the wrong way for years when I was young. And I had a, a respiratory condition, still have it to some degree, not as much as I used to. But I used it in completely the wrong way. I thought I was making myself better, but I was making myself constantly worse. And that's what was kind of keeping me up. Oh, there's so much validity there. What I couldn't, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, the, the, by, um, oh my gosh, why is it drunk? Like, anyone anyway, ever know the quote? Like, the, the, Side of true intelligence is the capacity to hold two opposing ideas at the same time and still function, which is the basic premise of the practice when it comes to whether it's yin yang or just basic development. And I, and I was, I, I'm quite sensitive. So when I was getting those, not attacks, just like pretty forceful conversations, I was like, yeah, I would like, as you said, I'm like, I know that there's something in this that's really true. And so for a time there, I really went into a little bit of despair around, you know, how like wrong I was in the business. And like, I was just kind of like skirting by because I'm quite charismatic um, on stage. And I would like, especially at the time I was really active on social media and I'd caught myself like picking up those like little throwaway liners around like, you know, like these, uh, these herbs are the ones, you know, like, like. I, I didn't say it like this, but this was going around a lot about the tonic herbs. It's just like, these are the ones that are completely safe. They're like a food. And, and I'd kind of sit there at night, really thinking about this and how it's, that's such irresponsible marketing. And I know there's nuance that I'm missing there. I also know that we can't hide away from the fact that these are really effective herbs. I found them really beautiful. I really found sourcing them in in like in the the D Dao or Dao D, a lot of people call it. Way was really, I I was being really lit up, and I was watching myself get connection with my own Jing, and I was watching people who were not sick using the mushrooms, or perhaps just people who were just exhausted from their lifestyle, building back some foundations, getting building some relationships and capacity with their their own body. And I watched myself kind of use that as a justification. See, I'm getting some results over here that are life-changing. Therefore, I'm completely justified in doing this. While at the same time, because I'm obsessive with this, like I know there are things I am missing. And I know that there are people who are, you know, you know, well, I don't sell ginseng, but, you know, using ginseng or reishi at inappropriate times. And I'm, I know that it's going to be available with the, the, the solution isn't to suppress the access to these herbs. And I knew that, but I was also kind of, you know, my mum was heavily disabled. I had no choice but to keep the business going as well, like for my, for, to financially keep on, to, I knew I was going to have to be supporting her. So I was at that quandary for, and I love that space and I love, and that's why I'm nervous coming and talking, you know, I, I see your podcast as like the, the absolute number one podcast for clinicians who are really there to like, you know, to 
to really learn and really you know and and bridge aspects of, of Chinese medicine and embody the the real grassroots wisdom as well as you know what's the most useful aspects of it being a large scale institution like I I um so that's why I'm really nervous coming and talking to you but that's what I started doing and it's like that's back in the day I started putting myself in situations where I was talking to acupuncturists and I'd gone um even when in China I'd go and find the people who did oppose the tonic herbs in China and 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 with my you know with my my partners in China I'd go and talk to them and I just I I became obsessed with bridging between clinic and home usage not only of practices like um you know like medical qigong so on and so forth because you could argue that a lot of the qigong that's been taught out there has been taught by two minute noodles who have no idea what they're doing and don't understand the path of cultivation uh, eventually hoodwinking people to stay in one dimension of the development rather than understanding how to move on as well so i get all that and that led me to starting my podcast and inviting acupuncturists on some that we should hate each other in terms of how <laughs> like how decentralized and scallywag i am and how in the institution of clinical chinese medicine they were and then we ended up well let's 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 dig into this a little bit here I mean, there's the, I mean, you just laid a table out. There's a lot to talk about. So first of all, when it comes to acupuncturists arguing with other practitioners, we have a long history of arguing with each other. I mean, you can go read like the commentary, the unshold version of the Nanjing, and there are pages and pages of commentary where practitioners are arguing with each other over the centuries. Oh yeah, this uh, this is what this means. Uh, this person over here, they don't know what they're talking about. One of my favorite comments is, "Oh yeah, you follow so and so's methods, you'll kill your patients. It will be your fault." So, discussion is part of Chinese medicine. Argument is part of Chinese medicine, and really, I mean, much the way that Jews argue over the Torah and the Talmud and all of their sacred texts, the idea is to maybe illuminate and understand something. That we didn't know before and it sounds like you've got a little bit of a, a spirit and a stomach for that kind of thing it's you know it's not always easy arguing and learning to take different sides of it so i'm glad we can have this conversation i've got experience with using herbs incorrectly i've got experience with using them correctly i'm curious about this tonic herb thing i've heard about it a little bit i don't know a lot about it you dropped a name Earlier in this conversation, Ron Teagarden, who is, I guess, famous for this kind of thing. Let's let's just lay the groundwork here so that that we know the landscape. Who is Ron Teagarden? What is the foundational perspective of? Uh, I'm using air quotes here. Tonic herbs, as you were just talking about. What are we even talking about? So, I mean, from a Western context, Ron Teagarden along with George Lamoureux, mainly attributed to Ron Teagarden. There was a, his teacher, who was Korean, was... Um, this is Teagarden's teacher. Yeah, it's just it was um, Korean was told to come over to the West and find some students. And I think as the story goes, Ron was experiencing exhaustion, so on and so forth. I mean, I like, look, I don't study like Ron Teagarden with Ron Teagarden. So this is very, this is years ago. I'm trying to remember this, but um, found this this um Taoist with and and this was practicing the Taoist herbalism and 
discovered the Jing herb, so on and so forth, became a student and then went over and would study and became a master herbalist with a focus on these tonic formulas, which had a bit more focus on the source text of the Divine Farmers Materia Medica, which is somewhat, I know I and I would agree with this from a clinical perspective, is it is a Materia Medica, even though it's an original, needs to be taken with a huge pinch of salt. However, a huge focus on what I think was like seen as like was deficient, especially within colonized Chinese medicine. What do you what do you mean by colonized Chinese medicine? I I'm sorry, and I'm not trying to be provocative, but I hear this term used a lot. Okay, look, I'm a boomer man. I'm in my 60s. So I'm a little bit out of the loop, but I don't know what, it, I keep hearing the word colonized. Oh, this is colonized or decolonize that. I'm not sure what you guys mean by colonized. Cause look, we kicked the damn British out 250 years ago. So in, in the modern context, when you're saying colonized, what does that mean? I actually don't feel like I have, like, I personally don't have that much charge in terms of colonized being bad, but, um, colonization, I use the word from like essentially from Rhonda Chang's work um, when she talks about the self-colonization of Chinese medicine and which going going back especially I guess to its culmination in the 50s when they say that it was you know it was somewhat westernized a new type of China that new type of Chinese medicine was created which was accessible to the west and accessible to the minds and didn't have the say that the spiritual aspect of Chinese medicine um, didn't didn't have the Wu Shen didn't didn't have um, when you know it, it was a, something that was able to be scaled in university that ignored the shamanic roots of Chinese medicine and say the capacity to have like a you know a real perception um, to work within the bounds of Yin Yang Wu Shen without going into Western disease naming or extreme categorization of this symptom is this treatment rather than being able to go in and actually personalize, which is what your, why I love your podcast, because you do that anyway. And I think that's what I mean when I was like saying before, I like listening to this crowd because it's not like a rage against the machine of colonization of Chinese medicine, because I think at that point of the weather, you know, in the fifties and, and as going through that age of, um, just extreme expansion of of population and, and, and industry. Chinese medicine wasn't going to be able to scale with the very slow shamanic aspects, the classical aspects of Chinese medicine. Now that it's all slowed down a little bit, the spirit is easing its way back in. So that colonized aspect and commodified aspect of Chinese medicine has stopped. And as it generally goes with the universe, it seems, now we're seeing a harmonization and a balancing where people like, you know, like, I mean, who's someone you had on, like Anne Sturman is like doing a lot of, you know, like you've had, who I think you had on the podcast recently, who is having, going and teaching a lot of people about classical Chinese medicine, as a lot of people on your podcast do talk about. And there's this like breath of fresh air coming through the students who come out of university and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been like looking for this, like a connection to the aliveness of Chinese medicine. So, that's what I mean when I talk about colonization and, you know, and like, I guess you know, that's when the, for me, it's fascinating because I'm a fan of Chinese medicine. I'm not, a, I, I, I'm actively staying away from being a practitioner in order to empathize with patients and people that are trying to build lifestyles for themselves using principles of Taoism, Chinese herbs, 
And so for me, watching that occur within the, the Chinese medical community and watching the, the awesome arguments and debates and just, and dialectics a lot of the time, it's like, I, it's like, it's honestly my, I, it's what I love doing. It's like, I'm such a fan of it. <laughs> and so that's what I mean um, when I say that, which I might not have the full picture of, but that's what I mean when I say colonization. So it sounds to me what you might, at least as I translate it and I think about it, because I've come through that system, right? I mean, I was lucky. I entered Chinese medicine at a time when there were schools and there was licensure and it was possible to actually go from one career to another. Unlike the people that started doing this stuff in the West in, say, the 70s and early 80s, there was no career path. Now there's a career path. And that's because there has been an aspect of, I'm going to call it institutionalization, for better or worse. Look, there's aspects that are helpful because you got some standards and you can bring people along in a certain way, at least get them started, right? Hell yeah. So there's that institutional aspect. And yeah, there's some really interesting things that happened in China, uh, not the least of which was the damn communist coming in. Right? Yeah, that that seemed to have something to do with it, didn't it? <laughs> you know, in, in in the you know, terrible corruption of the nationalists who were there before them. There's some really interesting things going on in Republican era China with uh the Chinese medicine practitioners and in particular how Western medicine was coming in and changing the landscape. It's not like any government or institution said, Hey, we gotta do this. It, it was like two forces of nature coming together, in, like like storm fronts, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, coming together, as I understand it. There's a fantastic book out written by Eric Karshmer, who was recently on the podcast, Prescriptions for Virtuosity. Y'all listening to this, if you haven't heard it, and, and Mason, you yourself, you might want to give this a read. It will, it will lay a context for you in a similar way that Rhonda Chang lays a context. And uh, really, like, blow your mind. And the interesting thing for me is because I come from, like, a say, um, the roots of, like, rage against the machine. And as I've become a little bit more harmonized, exactly what you said, I look around and I think, although it might not be perfect, I've, Chinese medicine is such a gift and it has been preserved enough. And the, that, watching that process, I have... I, I don't have the resistance to it. I don't have that, like, we're fighting back or restoring energy anymore. But what really, the reason I kind of stayed in my position, because I was the person that had to hear, well, like, you know, as practitioners, our good practitioners are these people as well, hearing when you talk to someone and go, like, I've been dealing with this slow degeneration. And you're like, well, go, you know, like, seeing an acupuncturist is really important. And you're a Chinese medicine doctor. That, and that's something I did from the very beginning. I'm very, I think that's something that didn't happen in the, in the Los Angeles Taoist tonic herb scene in the beginning. They tried to be practitioners just using tonic herbalism and maybe didn't have the depth and the understanding of the study of acupuncture as well. So it was kind of like a little one size fits all. I've always had relationships with practitioners and tried to understand exactly what the trigger is and tried to lay the context, which is something that tonic herbalism does. Tonic herbalism is very simple. It's like it says, like, you know, this is lifestyle. This is when there isn't anything major going on and you have an appropriate um, 
you're in an appropriate stage where cultivation is the focus where you have you know when you, when you have a vision and you 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 have and you have a passion and you have a plan and how to ground that vision and create a life for yourself and tonic herbs are really great allies that's when it's good to that's what they mean by superior herbs as far as i can tell in those texts when they say well so so those classifications like superior you know working class i don't know I remember what the whatever they are you know inferior blah 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 I think it's really easy to look at those words. Oh, superior. Well, of course. Hell yeah. I want to use superior herbs. Why would I use inferior herbs? Well, I think those classifications are a bit tricky because as with so many things, and this goes back to shop class for me in the eighth grade. Do you guys have shop class when you're in like, you know, have shop class. I'm old enough. We had shop class. We learned how to build shit. Right, bookshelves. And... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. We had we had a little bit. Of that. Yeah, yeah. We had a little bit of that. And and my shop teacher, this guy is like, he's like in my pantheon of brilliant human beings. Mister Bicell. He had the flat top haircut. You know, he taught shop class. He was just a regular dude. But Mister Bicell would always say, "Right tool for the right job, boys." Like, don't use a hammer for a screwdriver. You know, like, don't be a dumbass. Use the right tool. Mister Bicell, man, I love him. And, and when I think about the herbs, superior, inferior, working class, whatever, um, I think the trick is right tool for the right job. If you've got a condition, someone's really sick, and, and there's some stagnation you need to get rid of or some toxicity that you really need to address because that stuff is burning down the house, you know, you might be using colloquially what we call inferior herbs, but at that moment in time for that condition, that is the right tool for the right job. The fact that I'm grateful for like the, the you know, like look for me, I had access to a classical text, which was accessible to my non-practitioner mind who happened to be walking into, you know, just sharing some medicinal mushrooms that I happened to like pretty innocently. And then at least being able to see, and I had this from the very beginning, which I've, I'm pretty grateful about, like when people would come up to me and they'd have particular complaints and say, do you think if I use Hushawu, this is going to help my kidneys? And I'm like, you are throwing so blindly at a dartboard right now that this is like and that's what tonic herbalism is it's not it's really not appropriate and i wasn't hearing this is i actually had to pull myself back from having a public persona i pulled myself back from doing stage events and i really had an identity crisis because which i'm really grateful for because i i needed to be more harmonized for the sake of my business not just being a flash in the pan you know with shitty marketing you know like which i couldn't completely justify and completely continue to be like fighting against those who wanted to keep these herbs from the people but um i had to pull back and and make that a central and i still i'm still in the process of doing that in in terms of making it clear when these herbs are appropriate and when they're not and as soon as getting like anywhere near and but at least i had that i knew that the inferior herbs were there and i had a reverence for them from the beginning and i had i had enough con the thing that happened though michael was i was the one that was getting people going oh, i've tried acupuncture they just you know and and it didn't work and i would get that again and again and again and again and i was like what's going on here and i'd i'd go and i was young so i wasn't really going and seeing how old how old were you i was probably at that point it was between like 25 and 30 when i was doing my real beginning initiation stages into understanding what business i was in and then once i got to 30 and i started understanding the difference of people that were just coming out of uh, uh, uni the university system of Chinese medicine here who were just doing textbook 
mental treatments, which were getting, they were like, we can treat, uh, it was the same. Everyone's like, I can treat these things. I can treat those things. They couldn't treat this chronic disease. Therefore, now I'm on medication, but I'm wondering if I can use these herbs to help me. And I'd be like, why are you here? I was like, you, why are you like, you were, you were with the practitioner. Like, why is a practitioner not first of all telling you, say that like your, you know, your diabetes they're not going to refer to it as diabetes. Like there's still, the acupuncturists coming out of university are still using Western diagnosis, which I find is just completely inappropriate here in Australia. And it gives people a sense of, and this is why I really did have an affinity for those kind of more, those people who were like condemning the colonization of Chinese medicine, because even though it's like on mass, it's like incredible that it became a career that was then able to open up a whole world of Chinese medicine with practitioners can go and become more effective as they go along which is the way the reputation was acupuncture was for pain maybe for some stress not nothing chronic um it wasn't it didn't have that gateway when the people that i was seeing anyway and i was you know seeing a particular type of person and so that's when i started talking to finding a lot of acupuncturists who i respected and i found one acupuncturist in my area who did a lot of self-study a lot of classical study like gave me awareness of what it's like coming out of university here what you're entrenched what what's in your mind and then essentially how much you do need to go through a decolonization process to access other areas to become effective i'm not taking umbrage with that term decolonization but i would say this when you get out of chinese medicine school and you get your license maybe you got a doctorate maybe you're actually a doctor guess what you actually just got you just got your driver's license that's it. You just got your driver's license. That's what I call the two-minute two minute noodles who sometimes become experts and try and tell everyone else how to, how to operate. I wouldn't say we're two-minute noodles. Look, we, you know, we've studied years, but it takes a lot of time with patients on your own and like sorting out what works, what doesn't work, what kind of practitioner am I? That's a big piece of it. Some of it is the what we know, and you need to know a lot. And some of it is the how we are in clinic. And, and that all of that takes some sorting out and it takes some time. I, I'm very reluctant to say that, oh, the schools are doing a shitty job or they are only giving a perspective. They're they're giving they're giving they're giving a baseline. I agree with you. The decolonization is not great. It's not it's not an intentional enough term. Like I was just re-going over, I don't know if you know, like Ken Ken Wilber's integral model and talks about the mm. spectrums of thinking and, and integrating with each with each level and um and taking the gold of each level and, and not being dominated by it. And it's probably a, a place that's probably an I can, you know, and I know that this this is this has been explored at nausea in Chinese medicine. So I'm not saying that like Ken Wilber, likewise, you know, Jung, these 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 Westerners didn't just come up with these ideas. I know it's in Chinese medicine too. Um, but perhaps needing to also come out of that institutional thinking and integrate the gold in that. And there is so much gold, which I'm completely with you. I'm not, I, I'm not like in that, let's destroy that approach anymore because I think it's so valuable and so beautiful and so scalable, which the world needs Chinese medicine. It needs it at scale right now. Um, but perhaps going back a few layers to the say even even going to those the you know, that the the levels of say you know um magenta and magic or amber the mythic order um which that's maybe i'll leave it there in terms of like it was really 
it's nice for me to know that there is a lot missing and it takes a lot of humbleness to come out of four years or five years or six years of study and realize you're just beginning and perhaps some of the you know some of the areas you're going to have to go to are going to challenge that that real left side of your brain and you're only going to be need to access right side of your brain that has a little bit of mythic and shamanism within it in order to be effective hello everyone and cecil sturman here a working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, if that's your jam, yeah. you know, some people, that might be their jam. They're drawn to that. That, that could very well be a, a piece of how they practice some people look they're like super scholarly they can read the scholarly texts and understand things in a very less mythic and more um i'm not even sure what the word is but to understand things through a through a kind of tradition of people who have thought about it and talked about it and passed that down scholarly tradition more of a uh, um here's another word it may come to me later but i mean so often with chinese medicine Again, I'm, I'm going to come down on the side of it's partly what you know, it's partly what the tradition is, it's partly who you are, which is why I'm happy to have you sitting here with me today because a, a piece of what you've done over the years is who you are, right? The scallywag character that Mason Taylor is, you found some herbs that for you, it sounds like it's been helpful. You've been able to help other people. You've been able to build a business, support yourself, support your mom, take care of the people you love. Wow, you know, that's a good thing. It sounds like you've dug into some Taoist texts and, and maybe some Taoism. I'm curious about that. How did you come to that stuff? And are there any texts in particular that, that you've found to be helpful in this work that you do? Yeah, this was, it was funny for me because as I was telling you, I had my own symptoms going on was when I was in my last year of university and I was in my early 20s, I was quite exhausted. What was going on? What does that mean, quite exhausted? I just had no motivation. You know, I'd go to a, I'd go to a naturopath and they'd be like, you're fine. And I'd be like, I can't really get up and out of bed in the morning. I'm not feeling excited about life. I'm not feeling really, I wasn't depressed. I was traveling the world and I was studying and I just felt lackluster. And I'd go, I went to, went to a couple of Chinese medicine practitioners and at the end of it, I'd be like, tell me, what are you, what are you getting? You know, what's there? And they'd be like, no, you're all good. And I'd be like, okay, 
cool. Like that's good. That's good. Good. I'm I, I'm glad I am, and I am. So great. Right. That's and, and I'm then, all good, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd be like getting sick a little bit, like you know, getting just you know, just basically generally sick all the time, and just not been able to get out of bed, not really motivated at the end of the day. And what were you studying at that time? I was studying commerce. Were you into it? No, no, no. Did you like it? No, no, no. I couldn't stand it. You didn't want to do it. Um, what happened? It was interesting. It was almost like the university kind of gave me a real good gift. I went and like uh, I deferred after my second year, and I was studying international business, which had real, I guess, you know, I was studying like um, sociology and and um, I guess economics with you know in a in a university that looked at economics in a way of like patterns, and so I really liked that. There was a bit of animism to the economics, and there was animism to what I was studying, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, that like looking at business that way. Animism in ac- in economics. I've never heard anybody put those two words together in the same sentence. Yeah, I mean, this is like there's a pattern here. I'm like Chinese medicine. I got going back to the animistic aspect of Chinese medicine, and likewise, I was doing it with like economics. You could see the story of like of countries within their economics, and you could see, you know, you could you could see coming alive their interests, sometimes their karma as a as a country. And I I was loving it, and and I didn't know That's what I was fascinating. Yeah, like, can you give me an example? I honestly can't remember. I remember though studying at length seasonal economics, and they would show the seasonality of what it when you got into like the Christmas period, what it was like in the northern hemisphere versus southern hemisphere. And I remember looking at the the people in the northern hemisphere the economics had so much there were like like there was such a build-up and it was such um there was investment in like stuff that had value within the pattern because and then i was like oh adverse in australia there would just be this spike of um of people buying things that were you know that actually weren't contributing that much to the to the economy it was like you know it was just real like flash in the pan kind of stuff and and I was looking at it, I was like, why? And it was the first time I was like, ah, oh, I understand. Like, I was like asking questions with the teacher and he was like, yeah, true. And it's like, you know, that you can see this is like good economic activity. This is like probably not the most sustainable economic activity. And through looking into that, I could really feel the quality of the purchases and how much joy there was for doing so- like having that, like that pagan tradition in the middle of the in the middle of winter when it was the darkest and the coldest and you needed the most joy. So you have the biggest festival in the middle of that time and everyone was so happy to to use their limit their limited resources on things that were going to bring the most joy from bang from the buck. Versus in Australia, this is already at the time when we're always, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere, the most active, you're the most festive. You have need no other reason to buy gifts and spend your money. So it was all obligation based purchases. And I remember feeling I I remember just like at that point sensing something askew within the Australian calendar and the way that we operated and how there was something like harmonic about the way it was being celebrated in the Northern Hemisphere. And I remember just being like, this is awesome. I've never, I've never sensed, you know, I always thought it was all same, same, same. And that's, um, and so that's what I was studying. And likewise in socialism, there was interesting things like that. And then I deferred and got back and they said, oh, we've canceled that degree. You can't do it, even though it was running for another year. And I was like, oh, that's bullshit, please. And I was, and they're like, nah, you're doing commerce now. You're not doing international business anymore. And so I got thrown into the most benign bullshit marketing, oh, just like textbook commerce degree. And so I started just 
reading Ron Teagarden's book, reading Neijing, um, reading the the Ben Saojing, just reading. Okay. All right. So hang on. I got to dig into this for a second because here you are in college, university, you guys call it, and you're doing something that turns you on and then it turns into something you're not turned on by and you can't get out of bed because you hate what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not something wrong with you. That's something right with you. No, and and that's and that was a beautiful when I well I was sitting in the back of one of these benign lectures and I remember when I first saw the word Jing written and I was like, Oh, what's that? And I was like, Because I was Now what lecture is this? What lecture are you in? Something sparked for you. What was that? My text, not a, not the university's text. <laughs> I was reading, um, but I, it was it would have been marketing, and I think it was something to do with um, penetrating markets and the way that you need to adjust your the marketing of your business into in order to to um, be you know to to get market fit or something along those lines. And I remember just feeling grey, and I'd brought in I brought in I can't remember what book it was, but I I. I had gone through that cycle of going to Western herbs. At this point, I'd completely transformed my 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 health. Like I was my health. I was like you know doing a lot of foraging. I was going and collecting my own spring water from the mountains, not letting any water that was coming out of a tap touch my body. Um, I was like full. I was full in detox mode. I was becoming a yoga. I was starting to become a yoga teacher. So I was on the path. Um, but yet, when it came to herbalism, I was just like I'd done my big pot of Chinese herbs and gotten some good results but you know he was the, the the practitioner was just like there's nothing wrong with you but here do these herbs and I was like what are they going to do and then he we, we just couldn't quite communicate but I was like okay cool trust you and did the did the round and was like cool now what you know I didn't I was like I, I was like craving connection and I was craving like a relationship with the things that I was doing so I was like that was good and I know that's there but I want to have a relationship with herbs that's deeper than this. I was doing like, yeah, as I said, I was doing a lot of foraging at the time and looking into Western herbs. And then I'd go to the Western texts and they'd just be like, it's for this symptom and this symptom and, you know, and for, you know, and, and this part of the body. And, and even when it was like, to it can tone, even the adaptogens, it was like, it can tone this part of the body or whatever word that it used the word tone. And I was like, okay, gosh, I just, there's nothing for me to like, I guess, again, like the animistically have a relationship with here. This is all mental knowledge and so down when I saw the word Jing written for the first time is when I was like oh mate I reckon this is the I was just like there's something clicked in me and I was like oh there's something I can have a relationship with and so the terminology around the treasure of Jing then you know and what it you know perhaps it lives in the kidneys it, it includes the kidneys related to the water it's your potential, perhaps your genetic potential. You're born with a certain amount of it. Um, you can potentially cultivate it. It's very difficult, but here's the wheel that can, you know, if you if you choose the hard path, you can do it. And I was like, oh my God, there's a control of there's a been there's a control of an aspect where I can be in control of my destiny to an extent and pick rather than the cross the fingers path. I hope I don't degenerate and get sick. I can actually engage with my body and engage with this terminology, engage with my Jing, engage in the protection of my Jing, the creation of my family culture, my lifestyle in order to prioritize this thing. And then from there, I saw, you know, they're like, and then, you know, we can see there's like Jing, there's Qigong that's directed around this. There's particular 24 hour organ cycle that, you know, like so on and so forth. And then, some people call the, you know, use these herbs like Pusha Wu or, you know, 
you tell me about Dujong I, and and I was like oh. and so I, I was like wow I wonder what happens when I take herbs when I've got an intention towards what I'm wanting to do with these herbs I wonder if that's if that's going to that's going to help me as well and so that's when I started ordering these herbs and I remember getting my first batch and like seeing that they were like a generic organic Chinese grown Hoshiwu and I kind of and I threw that out because I could just be like I was so sensitive at the time I was like oh that's that's so you started experimenting you kind of went into mad scientist mode proper mad scientist like the things that I you know taking about those amounts where I, I specifically tell people not to do but yeah, going on, having deep relationship building with each of those herbs and uh-huh. doing so, it. So what did that look like? So first of all, you, you ordered some nice organic heshaou mm-hmm. and decided, no, not for me. How did you know not for you? And then what did you do? I remember just smelling it and touching it and looking at the color and being like, no, nah, that's, you know, I, I don't know, that was just not extracted well. And likewise with medicinal mushrooms at the time, getting heavily into medicinal mushrooms and so discovering the difference between grown on grain and grown on wood and whether it was wild wood or whether it was sustainably wild, you know, harvested wild wood, whether it was grown in mountainous areas or valleys and kind of started coming across that there's, you know, there's a mushroom town where they will say that a herb is de-down because it's technically in the province. But if you, really, if you go back to the text, it has a lot of microclimate um specifications and how much frost there needs to be and only spring water and i was like right i was so obsessed i was like i found so i found um didn't really couldn't get like ron tea gardens and those people's herbs through quarantine at the time in australia so i had to go really just to, to go get creative about how i was finding these um mushrooms and herbs how did you find them so this is all a blur because i'd ordered i'd ordered a bunch from america and they all got destroyed and so I was sitting there through quarantine. So I, where did I find those first batches? I was going and finding bulk suppliers who were sending samples and who knew the drill of how to, from China, like how to market as like white peony or something like that, that was benign and they were going to let, let through. And that's how I found it, just trawling through Chinese supplier after supplier after supplier. And so I just had this array of samples sitting there and I was able to get my bullshit radar out and see what was real, what was not, and get the richness of, you know, like taste of, you know, like I was getting, I was getting, you know, sliced reishis and, you know, and ground shaga sent to me versus extracted shaga and extracted reishis, so on and so forth at 10 to 1s and 20 to 1s. So I didn't realize I was, I was just building this bank of supplier, you know, like how to, you know, like something that would now it's serving me now, but that period of, of, um, I know exactly how I was going to source, but it was still like three years before I'd actually sell any of these herbs in my business at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, were you just going on like taste and, you know, that sensibility or were you using the modern tools of being able to look at, uh, beta glucans and that kind of thing? There's some some incredible mushroom growers out there that are pretty dang on top of it with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and even that, like beta-glucans, even today, like I knew it was the beta-glucan testing was kind of a little, they were taking a lot of liberties back then. The even like, that's still the way today, even though, like, I, like, there's a couple of, like, I'm, I've, I'm mostly really great mates with the, with big mushroom suppliers, even in, even in America and love 
what they do, the Megazyme beta-glucan testing isn't one that you can stabilize and isn't a great, um, it isn't a, isn't a great method of um, testing beta-glucans. There's, there's other ways that are coming out soon that also test a lot of the cofactors. Um, and other, the thing I kind of understood back then is I don't care about an isolate, likewise in any of the Chinese herbs. It's the whole orchestra. And it's a, especially a lot of the um, unidentified chemicals and compounds within the mushrooms and the herbs that I started coming across um, some herbalists that would talk about this and they were at scale and they were they were showing me photos of the farmers and they were talking about the difference of when a farmer is independent versus when it's owned by a company that is supplying it and how there's just something that they do with the way that they grow it when they know they're growing creme de la creme Dow herbs that is getting sold at a premium and it's such like there's a bit of hidden knowledge even there yes there's all the specifications of like this much frost this elevation it needs to be exposed to the elements to this extent but there was you know as they say like the je ne sais quoi and that's why they, their model was working with independence rather than trying to have like even co-ownership of farms we were just talking about this earlier there's that institutionalized medicine that that we learned and thank goodness because we had a chance to learn some dang medicine and, and then there's stuff that you refine in time to experience. And I, I've got a buddy in Taiwan who, uh, this thing is tea. He's like totally into tea. You know, his idea of a fun weekend was cruising through and finding small farmers in different microclimes that are taking their tea out, out of the, I'm going to call it the production cycle. And instead they're like cultivating their tea to be like what it's capable of being, small batch, excellent teas is what these folks are producing. His idea of fun was cruising around on his motorcycle and hanging out with these folks. Now he's got a business that he does with that. And yeah, there for sure there is something about people who are attending just like a practitioner, right? Or, or you know, you as a businessman attending to the thing because you got a sense of quality and you want it to be the best it can. I mean, and I thought I was like, I was such a know-it-all. I was like, I'd found certain, a lot of suppliers who I'd ask them questions and they'd be like, don't worry, silly Westerner, you know, it's the best. And I'd be like, not a good enough answer. And then, and then I'd find, um, and then it's funny. I was, I, I was talking to the person then when they weren't working it, like someone, I found someone in China who was like helping me. And then later they became a, a supplier working within a company of someone who also recognized that these tonic herbs was a part of the tradition that was being lost and they wanted to do, they wanted to be in that business and especially within a, you know, like they wanted to support that keeping these villages within an, keeping this industry basically decentralized as well in, in terms of like having independent farmers. And so it was a real funny coincidence and coincidence that I was talking to this guy and then ended up working with him later. But and in those beginning stages, and I was like, cool, I'm going to make sure I, educate like these suppliers because i had had such an experience of having to do that and then found one person who was just like oh mate you you know nothing about about this you know nothing about extraction um what's the extraction the how um how um uh how i believe i can I'll, I'll send you the the um the man the mandarin for it you can put in your show notes in case anyone wants to look into it but just the he's like you know when you extract as soon as you think about 
a beta glucan and you, as soon as you think about and and like an in yes it's good to test a we you know the chinese you know the pharmacopoeia the chinese pharmacopoeia says in order to be you know get this tick you need to test to have at least at least 20 percent beta glucan and at least mm. yeah 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 i mean look stamp standards are helpful do love it and i and i absolutely love it but in terms of the way it's extracted it was just like as soon as you think about the ginsengicide or you know the astragalicides or you know you, you, you're straight out of the mindset that you need to be in order to get them the most out of that mark and get the you know ensure that the menstruum that you're extracting in has absolutely every last little bit and it's like even they were saying like do you think the Taoists were up there in the mountains extracting just randomly crossing their fingers hoping they get the most out of those berries and roots and mushrooms like no they would extract it in a very particular way they would try if they could to capture the oils and reintroduce those back into, um, you know, whatever whatever menstruum they were using or the powder afterward. To the Dallas way back when, I mean, did they even have technology for doing this? How how did they consume and use these substances? Do you have any idea? A thousand years ago or oh, whatever. Oh, teas, teas, tinctures, powders, nothing. You know, honey honey pills. I think it was like that's. I think that's the whole point of this. Is pretty simple stuff. Water extractions and honey pills, correct? Yeah. And it's like, let's not try and complicate it. And that was, you know, there's been times where sourcing this way and extracting this way, adjusting pressure and, you know, it needs to get adapted. Like DDAO isn't something you're going to find 2,000 years ago um, because it was just going and foraging for these herbs in those areas. It especially started seeing itself take off as a I guess as an as an institution of thinking and, and, a, and a standardization that doesn't have a mark of approval like organic, it's something that you could sense. When when the when the, the Silk Roads opened up, it was the the hermits would come in to buy the you know whatever whatever herb the Wu to and go, no, nah, what what is this? Where 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 did you grow this? This isn't Shazandra, and they'd be like, no, we've started growing it locally to make it easier because it's accessible to the hospital there, which is a very reasonable thing to do. But then they'd go. No, I want I want it from where it's like original places where you're going to get the ro- the most robust herb. And in one of the commentaries, I take it with a grain of salt as well. One of the commentaries in um the in the Ben Sajing copy I have, I thought I might have had it in here. I'll send that that which particular um, translation I'm talking about to you as well. It's got this story about in 400 AD the the warring, as you said, of thought about keeping herbs and growing them in the specified place as it was specified in the Ben Sao Jing verse going and growing these herbs in orchards or in, you know, in the mushrooms within this mushroom town because it's much more humid there versus growing the lion's mane right up in the north near the Korean border where it's like gnarly weather. There's, you know, there's like, it's real robust lion's mane you get from there versus not so robust but it's good enough if you grow, you know, and we can really grow it at scale here down in these more tropical areas. And and I think both are really great. And I think a lot of that is going on within the mushroom industry at the moment where there is a lot of focus on growing it fast. Yes, growing it on wood, getting an organic certification, specifying the beta-glucans that were in it, you know, whether that does um, differentiate between the alpha or D beta glucans. There's a whole there's a whole thing there. Um, they're two very different ways of thinking and approaching mushrooms and herbs, which is awesome that we have that. Like the way I've chosen, I've really enjoyed it. It's far harder to market, um, 
and I and that was one of the interactions I've had with especially I had one interaction with Ron Teagarden himself and I was like oh I'm really discovering how difficult it's going to be for me not to sell these herbs as organic because these are such micro farms and yes it's only spring water yes I we have to test them with TGA your FDA is nothing compared to the te- the way that Therapeutic Goods Association has us test because we don't have a supplement category we've only got medicine and food so we're getting put through the ringer so the testing is rigorous so if i'm hearing you correctly an organic label may or may not be that helpful because there's perhaps people that are doing a good job but they're not going through all the hoops that you have to go through to do organic is that did i hear that right or am i misinterpreting i mean i find it super helpful in terms of like it is the difference between a really like a conventional medicinal mushroom that doesn't have organic and a real widely distributed organic medicinal mushroom that tells me even though it's not good enough for me that's not what i'd take i don't really i can tell that that organic is probably subpar generally for what i want i you know in terms of meeting the masses in the demand organic is far superior to just a conventional one but the what it actually you compare organic and and de-dow um, herbs a lot of people say that they're de-dow herbs are organically certified and i'm like wow that must be nice to have that budget to send out these organic certifiers to every little micro farm that is picking up this um approach to herbalism because it would cost me probably and my entire and beyond profit margin to be able to afford to send these um organic certifiers out it is impossible and when i did look at it the the certifiers in china were like oh don't worry about it just get your main farm certified organic and then it doesn't really matter who else is growing and who else you're, you're buying whilst you'll have an organic um reishi or shizandra or whatever it is and i didn't really like that not saying everyone definitely not i don't know whatever other people are doing other people um anyone who's made it is, is probably not doing that and just has a little bit more business savvy that i do or backing that i do but that's where i came to and i was like cool i'm not going to do this organic because i actually i was quite offended in China, I was quite offended by how these herbs could be certified organic when there's no way, there's just no way to scale. And we that this this style of sourcing when you're working with independents, um, independent farmers, and you know those farmers can only handle a certain amount of farms or a certain amount of area before they reach their cap and before the quality starts going down. In recent years, this Am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 
to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, there's only so much you can do with what you got. There's that. So in terms of sourcing, as acupuncturists, what should we know about sourcing good mushrooms? How do you know it's an okay enough mushroom? I, I know I've had stuff that was everything from tasting like sawdust to like really tasting like a bitter, kind of nasty, but kind of liked it at the same time sort of flavor. I think I think you've had you've had Jeff Chilton on the podcast, who's a mate of mine. We have good we had good chats on our on my podcast as as, as well. Um, we've got slightly different approaches. He's Mr. Mushroom. I wanted to I, at one point I was like, actually, I'm not going to go into it because I'll cause too much controversy. <laughs> I love him. Um, I love him. And we've got different approaches to mushrooms, which is the you know it's great. We service a different part of the community. Um, I mean, growing on wood, it's far superior. Um, Dwan wood, which is the original wood source, is in, is important. Um, you know, pine for poria, oak. You know, you don't have much of a choice with with poria with um fooling, but with, with um reishi with um um reishi you do. Um, you know, wild, wild oak wood. Um, likewise with your lion's mane, wild oak. Um, that's Dwan wood's an important is an important piece. I'd be what what is Dwan wood? Original original wood. Oh, okay. So in this case, what does Rishi like to grow on? Oak. Okay. And the, the consensus is that that produces the the best the best quality. I mean, I, I it's nice to know whether your um, whether your mushrooms have been grown in a um, a shed that's just got open doors at the end, or whether it's grown in like either like a straw hut or outdoors. Um, it has a lot, and this, if you're clinical and you just need a very specific action, you'd just be like wood grown, um, and an organic certification is probably good because if in your mind, you know, that there's no pesticides and stuff used. So that's there. But when you're in the, when you're in the, you know, practitioners listening to this that are really keen on like cultivation and, 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 you know, going back to like, why were these herbs, some of these herbs in, you know, just colloquially called like you know, the messengers from heaven. Why are these herbs the superior herbs? Why were they put there? There's must be, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And that's generally because when they do grow exposed to the to the elements and and, and grow at a at a particular altitude and there's there's the the atmosphere is able to actually sit continuously move through the area that they're growing one of the areas for instance like lion's mane it's it's much more beneficial to grow it up in the north where it's not so hot that in the straw huts you need to use a fungicide on the hut whereas when you grow them in mushroom town which is the place where thankfully it exists because the the scale of demand of lion's mane is far far larger than what a d-dow source is going to be able to provide and it's good enough but they're in the you know they're they're if they're in um grass huts then there's pe- there's fungicides being used because you have to be wetting the the grass huts consistently um or in enclosed sheds that just have rows and rows and rows and rows of steel um steel rows with um the herbs put upon them so it would be looking for them being grown in a in a in a way that is dedow and i know and, and what is and what does dedow lion's mane look like what is it that in its natural environment 
um, well, it's, it's as natural as you can get it at scale. So, you know, and that's the and that's the thing. It's it's that's been grown up in far north near the near the Korean border. Is that usually where it originally comes from? It, it comes from all over the place, but that's like it's essentially when you look at what DDAO is, it's like this is most this is the most potent. Um, this is the place where you're going to be getting the most potent life life giving herb possible. I can remember when I was following some doctors in Beijing. They would sometimes write like especially for Bai Shao or what was the other one? Bai Shao for sure. There's another one that they did, um, but they would always want to specify a certain province. It's like I want the Bai Shao from here, right from this particular area because it uh mm, i mean by by shall sorry like i always get in my opinion is that white attractylodes is that no uh by shall is the white peony in the original ben sao jing within the name there was a character of the province that you needed to get it from and so that's i mean that's and that's then what happens though is quite often what's missed is that there was like there it was in some translations they say it was it was specified you know this mountain crag with you know and in, in their poetic language you know you want the you want the frost to be to get to this level and you want the, this you know you want this particular <laughs> altitude so they're talking they're talking microclimes like you would talk for wines or you would talk for yeah um tea for that matter right and it, you know i mean let you know let yeah it's not that revolutionary of thought is it <laughs> it's like it's pretty well i mean in a way it's not it's like okay what are some basic what are the basic fundamentals that give rise to this particular substance being the best it can be? And, you know, look, back when they wrote the Bensal, Bensal Ching, you know, China was not the size that it is today. No, I mean, and a lot of areas... You know, I, I think it's one thing to say, yeah, it, it's from an, a certain area, but I think going beyond that to what are the characteristics that we're looking for, you know, that, that make it make it unique... Like you were saying, Lion's Mane grown up north has a has a particular characteristic grown down south, different characteristic. Well, the flavor, you mentioned the flavor. It doesn't go, it, again, it doesn't get complex, does it? It gets, you know, you want to be able to have that flavor have an impact on you. Um, you, you want it to logically make sense that it, that has a particular feeling when I taste it and I smell it, that it has, you know, that's that's authentic and that's and that's easy to do with an extract. Likewise, if you can, as a practitioner, is it fun when you're in your own personal apothecary? You want to be able to get a sense of. I just talk about the the, the personality of the herb when you when you try it, which is when I'm talking because I'm not talking to practitioners a lot of the time. I'm talking to mums that have four kids that can't handle another winter where everyone goes down for like six weeks getting sick consistently. So I'm like I'm trying to communicate to them. They're like I'm I've got. I've got some ratio or shaga roll. They've got the, a formula. How do you know? Like, how do I know how to use this? And it's and so when in and then that's when the 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 certain like you know the just get get a taste. It's kind of like spices. You'll start getting yes. There's I've got protocols for how to actually introduce it as well. So for those left brain people, who are like what are you talking about? Like no, it's all there. But for people who are like, it's like with a spice. Eventually, these herbs can become a part of your kitchen, and you do very. I, I have a hard time like you with the ginseng where I've been taking a herb and I've been I've just blown past very obvious signs now, not back then, <laughs> that I shouldn't have been taking it. Yes, I've blown, <laughs> blown past the obvious signs. Yes. 
And I got, and I just, why I say, do please go slow and don't just throw the kitchen sink at a symptom. That's not what this is about. But I also, I've had to flesh out the aspect of my customer service and my forward facing education to be like, if you get a funny feeling that maybe that herb isn't right for you, like we're always going to come across that funny feeling with people, so on and so forth. When I talk about it with herb, you really got to listen to it. And quite often, if you take what a herb, if, and this doesn't happen very often, but you know, if, if you take a herb and you're like, oh, I think that's not right for me, describe it, describe why that's not right for you, get a real, get a sense of it. Because if you take that to a practitioner and you tell them the herb, that'll also be really good data for them to understand what's going on in your body. So I, that's another part of it. Yeah, there is that. Well, it seems you're stratifying a, a very tricky chasm here. Because on one hand, what, I, what I'm hearing you say is the herbs that you have and the people you're looking to serve are people who are not sick, but they, they could be better, right? They're not really sick, but they could be better. And like me in the lecture theater where I wasn't sick, I was all good, but still not yeah, really lit well, up inside. <laughs> you need to change your destiny. There is that. Yeah. And, but so often people that are sick are looking for something that, well, I, I want to get this thing fixed. So, I mean, how do you, how do you work that balance? Because, I mean, I've been on websites, you know, like on Facebook and looking at some different mushroom groups, people that have mushrooms for sale, and people are constantly asking questions because they're sick, but they're hoping that this mushroom is going to take care of them. How do you really try and make sure that whatever someone's trying to fix, um, just to be like, you, this has to be accessible within like fixing it from lifestyle changes. So if a doctor is telling you now you're in like now you have to change this with lifestyle. Um, so likewise, you can't just keep on going and relying on a practitioner. This is where the mushrooms fit. And when we talk about superior herbalism, we are talking about the place where we are engaging with our destiny or we're thinking about, I, I won't say this generally as my opening opening line to people in the west but you know when we're talking about protecting the treasures of our family or our or our body that's a very particular space to be um this is why i started the podcast my podcast like seven years ago and i just have had non-stop um acupuncturists herbalists um naturopaths dietitians coming onto the podcast to build and bridge this chasm and so as soon as someone does as well as I've started fleshing out a, a, and we've kind of just got this within our customer service universe will eventually release it in terms of like how to work with practitioners I've got a lot of in a lot of my podcast it's like I know what it's like to become disillusioned and that's why you're here looking for solutions in a place where let's admit it's not appropriate for you to be looking for these solutions but at the same time in terms of sometimes people will come to us, people who are real, quite, you know, sovereign and in touch with their body. And they're like, I'm not coming to you to, to fix this problem for me. I've got a real hardcore um, treatment coming up and I need to ensure that my body is really strong and I'm prepared. And that's, that's clinically where tonic herbalism does fit into to the universe. And that's where... Um, I have a lot of practitioners. We are with a practitioner distributor here in Australia and hopefully eventually will be. Um, I work alongside those people who actually have traditional formulas and I'm like, we're not those herbs. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sexy branding and cool looking jars that have an extract powder that I don't really think you should be using this in a treatment pro program. It's not where we sit. But when you really want to help people get strong and feel like 
your lifestyle is going to need to change in order to get prepared for you to be able to heal. That's where I want you to use this tonic herb or sometimes people know they're going to use that to prepare for that. Then when you're going through that treatment, they'll pull back. And then likewise in the convalescence and when they've been through something and, you know, that's, you know, just right now I'm going to be looking at, um, we've got a few oncologists here in Australia within very legitimate um, clinics um, who are using our mushrooms just like with, for the convalescence stage. Um, some restoration. Of them, mm-hmm. Which is restoration, which I, I'm like, and that's what I teach people about. We've got articles showing that. These are the, these are, there's three sides of tonic herbalism. There's that getting your body ra- ready so that the treatment doesn't kill you or doesn't take you take out a few, you know, like a few quarts of gin on you so that you don't have the marrow to like go and manifest your, your dreams and, and shine your light out there in the world. And then let's really help you in, in this, in this um, post-treatment or this post-illness period. Um, and that I've ex- we're excessively sending people to practitioners and anywhere where we can, giving people understanding of like, well, this is the type of practitioner we like to use when we... And these are the questions and these are the outcomes we like getting because it's, that's what really bugged me. I was like, I feel like I wanted to kind of tap out at times, but then I just have people like lost souls wandering up to me at the markets. And I'm like, why are you coming to me? Like, I'm literally this young guy in a singlet. Like, I don't get, and I I just don't get it. And, and then, but then I started, I did start understanding it when i you know you can just see it's so overwhelming and expensive when you go to practitioners you 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 burn you burn it on a couple where you've just looked in the wrong place and you just didn't know how to relate and and then so that's where that's how i approach it and then i i really try and put out the positive because i that's putting out a lot of the you know the the, the you know I guess you could say the cautionary tales and that I really try and accentuate, accentuate, like, you know, these are people who are in a place I was just feeling a little bit lackluster, you know, I was really not that inspired or I was, you know, I was exhausted, but it was, you know, it was because of the way, you know, it's just because of the way I was living. It wasn't anything really going on. And then like with me, then when I started using the herbs or the mushrooms, it's really, you know, you, you, you mentioned the word destiny. That's exactly how I how I try and relate to it, and my marketing team are constantly like, Mason, you've got to stop going so woo woo and trippy with this. And I'm like, well, you need to figure out ways to communicate this to people and realize that if they stay within the there's something wrong symptom territory with these herbs for long at all, there's something really wrong with the type of person that we're attracting because you can't give false promises. If, especially within the world that I live in where people are so distrusting of the modern medical institution that we become like a solution and then we, that we get to be a part of their rage against the machine kind of like um, path for, for a while and then there's the potential for them, you know, and I've been there, I'm there in other areas, but those low-hanging fruit to get sucked into our universe where we're just hyping like, yeah, mushrooms are the best for this and that and for nervous system and they've got some extreme dysregulation of their nervous system that mushrooms will maybe be able to put a little band-aid on for a while but they're just going under a delusion that they're going to be able to completely heal themselves with it then there's something wrong with that so that's why i've maintained exceptional customer service in in that so when you say customer service do you mean education because if i'm if i'm reading you right here you're saying there's a place for tonic herbs 
there's a place tonic herbs not appropriate at all. Sounds like you're trying to swim in your lane. Yeah, and that's likewise. We are the place when people are like, "I've been jo- I've been going to practitioners, I've been seeing Chinese doctors, and I'm not getting the results." And I go, "Yeah, well, maybe that wasn't the appropriate place. Maybe there's nothing really wrong with you. Maybe you're just needing to, you know, a little bit of the support in cultivating essence that helps you get over a hurdle of, you know, of life." Likewise, you know, that's the same way you'd say a bit of exercise, good sleep. Maybe you need to make a big adjustment in the way that you're living and go through an integration process. That's very appropriate for tonic herbs. So you're saying that tonic herbs with a with lifestyle changes is is something that really goes together. Yeah, and likewise, when people are like traversing the desert, as you know, like you know, sometimes there's nothing really wrong with them. They're walking on eggshells and they're going through a hard time in life, and it's just you, that's times when people do take a lot of tonic herbs or will increase their reliance on them to, in order to get through a difficult position and not have their their um, their anxiety or their lack of capacity to digest what's going on, take them down. And then we talk a lot about after you're through that period, just the way that sometimes it is appropriate to listen to your body and be like, maybe, you know, they they relate to them as adaptogens or chi herbs or whatever it is. Maybe it was appropriate for you to increase the dose during that period because you were going to fall over if you didn't have that level of support. Then you need to make sure that you really listen to the to your to your system and drop it down and have a break at times or cycle and not get reliant on these things because that's another thing that happens in tonic herbalism and general wellness is people will get a little bit of a crazy benefit or experience with uh, a, a formula or, you know, or a different supplement and then be like, well, this is, I, I would say this is in some ways fundamental to Chinese medicine and Chinese herbology in particular, that a certain thing is right at a certain time. And if it's right, it's really right. And it's going to take you from here to there. And when you get to there, it's time to burn the boats because you're not on the water anymore. Now you got to go overland. You need something different. Yeah. So for sure, you know, I'm back to my shop teacher, Mr. Bicell, right? Right tool for the right job, boys. Like, like, like the right herbs at the right time for the right thing. And it's not forever. It's for a piece of the journey. Yeah, for sure, tonics are helpful at certain points. Um, and as we know, they can be very uh, detrimental at other times so yeah no i like I, I love it and i mean for me i'm like thank you know i'm so thankful that at least like that's when i when i was studying the Tao and i was able to actually appreciate a, a well-rounded philosophy that would teach me about transitions that's the only reason i've been able to actually <laughs> implement that much to the you know the, the disapproval of some people that were looking at the actual commercial validity of what we've what we've been doing well and isn't it funny too here you are you were looking at international business. You were studying it like, yeah, not for me, but look at you now, international <laughs> businessman. So funny how life goes. Anyway, Mason, I appreciate your time today and exploring this topic, which, you know, it can be a bit contentious and, you know, like anything with medicine, it's worth looking at different perspectives. So thanks for your time today and in in uh, what you've had to share. I know you've got a lot on your website or around the cultivative aspects of jing and chi and and like you said lifestyle stuff ways of being as you're transversing from one place to another so folks can go visit that there'll be information 
over on the show notes page. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed myself. Really appreciate what you do. Thanks so much, Mason. Till next time. Often enough, I have patients ask if they should be taking herbs. And the way that I've been trained in practice is not to prescribe herbs unless there is something that needs adjustment. Maybe just my Missouri boy, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. But in this discussion with Mason, it did occur to me that mildly tonifying herbs can be a way to help support a person's jung chi and help keep the undulating rhythms of yin and yang and a harmonious flow. A little extra nourishment in our modern life full of distraction and the overlapping priorities that are constantly pulling on our reserves, it's worth paying attention to. What's more, mushrooms are a curious life form. Not plant, not animal, but a creature of the in-between. A little dose of mysterious in-between on a regular basis? Hmm, it might not be a bad idea. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.